Welcome to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast series. I'm delighted to host this podcast and share key trends and innovations for each of the 25 industries we serve. At SAP, we like to say that we speak the language of our customers, and this language is industry. We've been supporting all industries for more than 50 years now, and it's exciting to launch this podcast and discuss with industry experts the business value that they get from our solutions. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Industry Insights podcast by SAP. My name is Tom Raftery, and with me on the podcast today, I have my two special guests, Wesley and Stephen. Wesley and Stephen, would you like to introduce yourselves with maybe Wesley going first? Sure, absolutely. And it's a real pleasure to be here and, and speaking with you both today. Uh, my name is Wesley Spindler. I'm the Global Circular Economy Lead at Accenture. Uh, what does that mean? That means I help our, our clients and partners to develop and deliver their circular economy strategies. I also work with uh, a number of different bodies, such as the, the World Economic Forum um, and other sorts of, of multilateral groups. And I manage a lot of our thought leadership uh, and have recently or semi-recently in 2020 um, co-authored a, a book on the circular economy called the Circular Economy Handbook and have the pleasure of, of working with SAP on our collaboration on sustainability and circularity. Fantastic. And Stephen? Yeah, hi. Um, so Stephen Jameson, I'm a global head of circular economy solutions at SAP. And um, I, I guess much like Wesley, I'm uh, really looking at our overall strategy for circular economy, um, how we can help our 27 industries um, work together in a way that actually delivers system change and focuses on the right things that ultimately deliver you know, a circular and regenerative uh, economy. Right now, specifically working on uh, some targeted solutions, which will uh, uh, hopefully drive some accelerated impact. So look forward to sharing more later. Okay, great. Thank you, Stephen. And you use the word regenerative, and that's interesting because in the in the prep call we had, uh, you guys talked about regenerative business, and I've heard the term regenerative used in the context of agriculture before, but that was my first time hearing it used in in kind of the the, the context of business. So, could you talk to me about that? What why are you using the term regenerative business? What's what's that about? Maybe Wesley, if you want to start. Yeah, it's a it's a really great question, an important one, um, because as you say, Tom, I think when individuals think about regeneration sort of traditionally as it relates to sustainability, similar to you, they might think about regenerative agriculture, you know, links to, to biodiversity or reforestation and, and so on and so forth. And equally, I think there's there's more to the definition, which I'll get into a second. But I also think Super. there's some a little bit of of lack of clarity around what the circular economy means as well, which I'll I'll bring these together in a second. And that circular is just about you know recycling 2.0, you know implementing waste management systems and so on. But the circular economy is really about going beyond the concept of of eliminating waste and seeking to really close the loop on our our take make waste value chains, where waste is designed out. Products are kept within productive use for as long as possible. Materials loop back into the system, and importantly, 
we reinvent really the way that we produce and consume. So we move to these more restorative and regenerative systems by design, systems that aren't just about doing less bad, but doing more good. So when I think about regeneration, I do like to tie that to circularity because I think circularity is all about um, envisioning a world where we move to net positivity and, you know, we really circulate resources, materials, products and services in, in new ways that that bring benefit to all. So that's how I like to bring those two concepts together. And and perhaps Stephen has some some points to add there as well. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's it, it's essentially a, a build on, you know, where we've been talking about circular economy for, for a long time now and it's very easy to sort of just to separate out the sort of the technical aspects of circular economy, you know, the, the hard materials, the, the plastics, the woods, the papers, um, and kind of miss out, I guess, the biological aspects, you know, the, the food, the, uh, you know, organic compounds, things that have come from, from nature specifically. And the fact is that the two can't be disentangled. Uh, often solutions to some of the technical challenges, um, you know, I'm thinking, you know, mycelium products, uh, um, casings made of, of chitin, uh, lobster shells, you know, a lot of the solutions come from the, the biosphere, so to speak. And we need to, we need to take a holistic approach when we're, you know, designing a circular economy and we need to factor both elements uh, into the calculation and make sure that we are uh, helping to enable new systems that can uh, not just lead to a lower impact in terms of technical materials, but also to promote increased biodiversity at the end of the day. You know, this is this is how we accelerate climate impact mm. is by taking care of, of, of the, the biosphere first off, taking care of nature, enabling, let's call them nature-led business. And in doing so, we, we can, can potentially um, deal with a few topics simultaneously. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because I had uh, Bill McDonough on the Climate 21 podcast a number of weeks ago. And the analogy he used for this kind of thinking is he based it very much on nature, to your point, Stephen, because he said in nature, there's no such thing as waste. What's waste for one uh, animal or species becomes food for another. And he said, that's the kind of thinking that you have to bring into business now that there is no such thing as waste. It's, it's, it's food, as he called it, for something or somebody else. And I think, I think that's very much what we're saying here, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can always rely on on Bill McDonough <laughs> to to make it very digestible. But I think that's ex exactly the point. Is as Stephen says, whether it's sort of technical food, quote unquote, or or biological, um, you know, looping things back into the system is really important. And and moving away from the concept of waste to one of value, right? Waste to value, I think, is an important way to to think about circularity. Nice. Lovely. It's a great way to put it. Waste to value. I like it. What, what's the imperative to change, though? I mean, why do we need to change? Why is that important? Uh, what, what, what's the impetus for it? It's an interesting sort of setup right now because I, I think this is one of those sort of questions that's bedeviled many people in the sustainability, sustainability space for a long time. And actually, I think it's becoming really quite clear, uh, particularly over the last couple of years. You know, we, we've, we've, we've now got a sort of... Um, nexus of forces almost kind of coming together where we have, you know, on, on one hand, a, a very empowered consumer. Three, four years ago, we were talking about these topics. We were still debating, you know, is there a market for sustainable products? Now that debate's gone. There's a really clear um, consensus, whether we're talking about fashion, whether we're talking about consumer products, that if you sell, you know, things that are 
in their nature more sustainable than than that they they are better lines of business uh, in terms of growth in terms of profitability. Um, so so that's one side. There's also the kind of the negative aspect of good business in the sense of um, how you avoid the sort of the long term negatives you know the potential to at some point be be fined for you know so much of your product being found in the environment and creating potentially creating a ne- negative pollution events then then you have really i guess the regulatory uh, aspect to this and again this is linked to the consumer alignment but essentially you know we now have something like 400 extended producer responsibility schemes you know in the pipeline uh, this is creating real impetus now it's no longer lip service this is real uh, regulatory uh, teeth that are being focused in on essentially enforcing the polluter pays principle. You know how how to make the people that produce materials, produce products, to be truly accountable for all of the downstream costs. Uh, and this is a trend that we're seeing that's really accelerating at the moment all around the world. Um, you know, we used to just talk about Europe, but it, it really is everywhere. And then I guess the third aspect is what's happening in the NGO community. And we're seeing some really impressive commitments being uh, made by, you know, many uh, large business. Uh, and often you have, you know, groups like the World Economic Forum and, and in particular the Ellen MacArthur Foundation and their global commitment, uh, which is really kind of set the bar high uh, in terms of uh, tracking things like volume of, of plastic items uh, sold and, and things like that. And, and you know, we know from the businesses we speak to, these are topics that are really keeping people awake at night and how to deliver upon this agenda, how to deliver upon these commitments. And and so it's this, this sort of coming together of these topics, which I think is really stimulating change right now. Okay. And Wesley? Those are all, all spot on points from Stephen. I think just to, to add on to that, um, certainly the, the point Stephen made around consumers is is very accurate, right? The the rise of the conscious consumer has been around and, and is accelerated, I think, during the pandemic. And, and we at Accenture do a lot of different sort of consumer studies to, to see changing, uh, you know, patterns and the, the way people live, work and shop. Um, the other element I would add to that is it it's not only just sort of consumers that we're seeing, but workforces. Um, I think that's been a really important shift um, in the last year or so or or more um, in how workforces are really demanding that their employers take more responsibility for their environmental, indeed, their social as well, impacts and, you know, circularity and, and wastage um, is, a, is a key tenant of that. And, and then the other couple that I would add on would be the financial imperative. Uh, this one is tricky. And again, it, it's not an easy one to achieve. But in a lot of the work we do and in a lot of our collaborations, like the work that we're doing together with, with you at SAP, we see a lot of financial and, and business value benefits to, to things like looking at regenerative and circular models. Um, we've actually identified a, a global value at stake of, of $4.5 trillion that's available to be captured by, by 2030 through the circular economy. And, you know, organizations looking at these concepts through that lens can really, you know, they can spur innovation, they can enter new markets, they can, you know, really pivot to to more resilient value chains. And then the final piece, I think, 
I would add on is, is there's a lot of business drivers, um, in addition to financial. There's, there's new business models, which are becoming, you know, more feasible. They're, they're being explored, uh, in, in new ways that, that organizations are embracing. Um, also the role of technology, which I'm sure we'll get onto more, but, um, the advancing, you know, disruptive fourth industrial revolution technologies, if those are harnessed in the right way, they can be a real accelerator. Um, for things like regeneration and, and circularity as well. So those are the couple that that I might add on to to Stephen's points. Cool, cool. The 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 others I, I would say are starting to become important as well are the kind of the investment community and what they're doing. Yeah. And also the insurance industry is starting to step up as well, I think. So that'll be interesting to watch. Uh, personally, I think the biggest one uh, will be the regulatory environment um, because here in Europe, we have a commitment uh, to 55% reduction of emissions by 2030. And so far in the last 30 years of that 55, we've achieved 24, which means we have to achieve the remaining 31 in the remaining eight and a half years, which is unbelievably going to prove to be unbelievably challenging. But because it's legally binding, it means regulations are going to increase enormously in the next eight and a half years to help us get there. So that's going to be really, really tough. And it's, it means there's going to be huge, huge change. I, I saw a great quote, uh, and I'm, I've forgotten who it's from, but it said that there are no non-radical futures. In other words, we either, uh, we either relax and we have a radical change in our climate, or we decide we can do something about it and we have a radical change in how we do things. But either way, there are no non-radical futures. Yeah. And I, I, interesting, um, picking up on that point, Tom, around the, the, the emissions piece, we're actually doing some uh, work with Zero Waste Scotland in the run-up to COP26. One of the statistics they quote, which I thought was staggering, is that 85% of, of Scotland's emissions actually come from the consumption of products. Wow. There's a, there's a famous Ellen MacArthur Foundation stat that is, you know, 55% um, of, of, of emissions come from the consumption of products uh, in general. But, in, you know, in certain geographies, that, that number is much more significant still. Yeah. And so the opportunity to um, lean into circular economy principles to really make a, a difference in terms of, you know, the carbon agenda, you know, is enormous. And when you think about... I think we we produce something like a hundred billion tons of materials each year in in, in the world, and and about nine percent of that is is currently you know going through a, a recycle loop, which logically means about ninety one billion tons of materials are essentially left to the natural environment each year. You know, it's a, it, it, it's a staggering proportion of of waste, um, yeah. and and you think of the carbon impact of that of that waste and the opportunity in tapping into that 91 billion tons of materials that are perfectly good for some application or, or, or some business opportunity somewhere. And that, that for me is the real key. Interesting. Yeah. And I, it, it's such an important link, you know, to bring together the, the climate agenda and the, the circular, you know, re regeneration agenda around our uh, you know, the way that we produce and, and consume, as Stephen called out, because not only at the sort of um, 
you know, the national, the international level, looking at flows of, of resources, but even at the, the organizational level, right, some of the, the biggest multinational organizations in the world. I mean, we've done a few projects now where, you know, we've helped organizations, you know, set their you know, for example, their their net zero targets and and their climate agendas, and we have quickly found through those you know those deep analyses that when they're looking at the solutions, you know, how are they going to reach these goals? A lot of them, you know, by by twenty thirty, how they get there, a huge part depends on you know moving to from virgin materials to to recycled materials. Yeah. Changing their production systems, thinking about some of those new business models with consumers, you know, so can, if, can they recirculate more resources with consumers through, say, a subscription or um, re-commerce as, as opposed to a one-time sale? Because, again, that reduces their reliance on extraction and 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 virgin um, uptake. So I think it's still a link that's not clear enough. And I think individuals and organizations don't don't see that, uh, you know, very explicitly. But I do think it's going to continue to be of critical importance to embrace these agendas together, or else we won't have the impact that we want. And as you say, Tom, there will be a radical future, Mm. whether it's one where we're, you know, just changing the the way we we manage, you know, extreme circumstances or, you know, we we all start to move to a plant based diet, for example, to, to stay within the one point five degrees Celsius yeah. um, range that that's going to be critical to consider. Interesting. And what I mean, you mentioned working with businesses, what are businesses able to do to uh, to cope with this or to address this? Yeah, that's quite uh Quite a range of of of, uh, of ways that organizations are are looking at this, and and there's not really a one size fits all. But I think what I found encouraging in the last couple of years is that organizations are moving away from from looking at circularity and and related concepts as something siloed or you know small scale pilot level initiatives to being a lot more ambitious to really thinking about as we said at the start. How do they embrace circularity and net positivity and regeneration as concepts that can really transform their value chain and be something that can holistically address a number of of different opportunities across the the full um you know, product and service life cycle that they deliver? And also how do they engage, as you as we talked about, with policy, with their suppliers, with their customers, with innovators, with peers, um, differently to to really shift to away from BAU and, and disrupt their their value chains. So I think what we're seeing is um, organizations doing everything from you know looking at how they redesign um, and and reconsider the inputs into their value chain. So you know how do they design their products differently? How do they uh, you know bring in new materials or new ingredients? To how do they, as I mentioned, embrace new consumption models? So those things like products as a service, or how do they extend the use of their their products and services? And then importantly, how do they then take back products at, at, at the end of use to make sure, you know, they're addressing some of these big policy challenges around extended producer responsibility and the like, but also ensure they're being accountable for, for what they, they put onto the, the market. And again, there's a variety of ways that different types of organizations and industries are approaching this. But I do think 
organizations are starting to look at moving to scale and impact, as I say, from everything from their operations, their product and service portfolio, to how they deal with the ecosystem, and importantly, how they start to change the way they um, structure their organization and how they build the culture mm. to, to really embrace circular principles uh, within the, the workforce. And, and that's something that, that often gets overlooked. So that sort of holistic approach from, from most inward to most outward is, is where organizations are starting to head. A lot of it as well needs to be around communication, doesn't it? To your point about, you know, communicating it to the workforce, but also to the earlier point about, because consumers are seeing this as important, communicating it outward to consumers as well. I think a lot of organizations, and Stephen, you've probably seen this as well, in this space are being a lot more transparent and honest, not just about their successes, but also about the challenges and where they need help. And I think that's a really important shift because these transformations that we're talking about, they're not easy. And it is you know, disruptive. It does mean new ways of doing business. It does mean high levels of investment and, and bringing in new capabilities. So I think when organizations are just really open about those challenges and, and what they're trying to do as opposed to what they've achieved, um, they're seeing a lot more engagement, a lot more innovation from the outside or from the inside. And I think that is an important shift because we're all going to need to work together to create a, a whole new ecosystem. And it, it can't be something that's done alone, really, at an individual organization level. Interesting. And, and, I, th and I think in that, there's, there's, there's some really interesting behaviors emerging, some great, some uh, you could debate over. You, you see in certain industries, I won't call any, any or call any names out, for example, but, you know, you see this sort of idea of greenwashing, this idea of, mm. um, well, as long as we're telling a good story, as long as we're saying we're doing the right things, not always the product capability meets the packaging or the commitment, should we say. And I think it's it's interesting now, um, you know, what, what we're seeing in terms of actually particularly, you know, in, 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 for example, the fashion industry, where there's this sort of continual reimagination or, or, or kind of re-narrative of, of what sustainability is, uh, you know, what, what counts as sustainable stock, cotton, what is dead stock, uh, when do we use which category of these materials in, in which products and how do we communicate about those? And there's a lot of fuzziness and there's a, there's a real lack of clarity. And, and there's, there's certainly a lot, lot of con confused consumers around. Right. My prediction would be that these are topics that are going to really shake out over the, over the coming years as, as the consumer awareness grows, as education grows, as, as the systems and the capabilities grow of, of, of how we can drive transparency uh, end to end. Those that are genuinely reimagining their business processes and, and reimagining their business with sustainability principles and you know embedded in the core, I, I suspect will go far. And those that are um, not necessarily uh, doing all of that due diligence could be left wanting uh, as time goes on. So there's an interesting challenge there about how you line up all of these different elements from communications to you know product capabilities to traceability in order to be able to tell an authentic story to to consumers and customers. Yeah, it's 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 still a very immature space, isn't it? I mean, what, what, what are SAP and Accenture doing together to help customers? So we are um, in the process, I guess, of launching our circular economy uh, program as we speak, in fact, um, 
we have our, our flagship product, uh, SAP Responsible Design and Production, uh, going into market in uh, November. Uh, this is a piece of, uh, of of software capability that we've been working on. Uh, well, as SAP for over three years now, huge innovation program with hundreds of customers where we've really looked at, you know, what are the key moments? What are the key differences that we can make across the supply chain in order to actually stimulate a shift towards circularity? And and, and this is a an area that we've identified as being kind of priority number one. And um, we've been working very closely hand in hand with Accenture on on our partnership uh, in the creation of this product and uh, and soon the launch of this product. Just to give you the overview, uh, we have investments going in sort of three key areas. So essentially solutions that help eliminate waste and provide insights to support businesses in the elimination of waste. Secondly, solutions that help drive new economics of, of waste materials um, and, and really shift the needle in terms of making material that would otherwise become waste become valuable again. So solutions that circulate materials and drive connections between people that have material to, to use and the people that want that. And thirdly, you know, solutions that help um, drive new business models and innovate new ways of doing things, ultimately deliver regenerative uh, business practices. So, so those are our, our kind of three uh, focus areas. And what SAP Responsible Design and Production does is really help businesses leverage those those critical drivers that I outlined at the start, how to work with regulatory um, complexity and the regulatory teeth that are coming, how to respond to voluntary agreements, uh, how to communicate more effectively with consumers and how to build that into every single product. Um, And so the solution will be uh, providing insight to uh, technologists, R&D, sustainability professionals within organizations and helping them to really shift their product portfolio uh, to one that is more circular by design, more regenerative in nature. Um, And so uh, that's our starting point. Um, And um, yeah, looking forward to um, sharing more as uh, we release the product later on this year. Cool. Wesley? Yeah, I mean, Stephen covered that very, very well, of course. Um, (laughs) But I I think the you know, to set the context of why this tool is so important, as you know, we've sort of reiterated earlier in the conversation, a lot of these changes are very complex. And and one of the the biggest challenges organizations have in this, you know, because there are many, um, is how do they, you know, how do they build the right tools and capabilities? How do they measure and manage, um, you know, circularity in order to have effective you know, transitions and have have sort of effective reporting and, and communication and all the things that that we've talked about. So by having tools like this available, which there, you know, there really aren't very many today, it brings that visibility of, you know, what are the environmental impacts, what are the cost impacts of, of different business activities, and really empowers organizations to create the change and take the actions they need in a very concrete way to help them expedite their circular transition. Because I definitely think that is something that organizations are struggling with is, is how do they how do they package all of this together and, you know, incorporate it with the rest of their sort of systems and tools? And it's not something that that is done very effectively yet. So it can certainly help accelerate that that journey to circularity and is a really good step um, to have the right solutions to to a number of big challenges, as Stephen said, you know, how do you influence 
new designs, um, new sort of material choices to how do you improve recyclability? How do you reduce your costs? How do you integrate more recycled content? All those sorts of big questions. Um, this tool is going to play a really important role in, in making that happen in a very effective way. Super, super. We're coming towards the end of the podcast now, folks. Is there any question I have not asked that you kind of wish I had or any topic we've not touched on that you think it's important for people to be aware of? The sort of the, the one big topic, I guess, that we haven't really uh, explored in any great depth uh, and, and is equally critical to, you know, how we help producing brands uh, understand you know the impact they have on on the planet with you know a new solution launch we talk about a lot at SAP about you know the business network and and the um, opportunities that connected business can provide in terms of new business model generation uh, new ways of, of offering uh, products and services to customers and indeed all that is hugely true I think what's of huge relevance in this conversation, you know, linking back to the 91 billion tons of material that's wasted every year is just the opportunity for, you know, the business network to really help join those, those dots together and help create those new economies. You know, the circular economy will not happen through a mail order business <laughs> at the end of the day. You know, the circular economy will, will be enabled by digital solutions, um, making connections between people that, uh, you know, have a need with people that, you know, can, can help provide that. And, um, you know, I think the untapped potential uh, that, that, you know, certainly we have in SAP at our fingertips is really quite profound in terms of the, you know, three and a half million, sorry, businesses that are using the network each day, um, the sheer amount of materials uh, that are available. Uh, yesterday, uh, I launched with uh, a partner of ours um, the world's uh, the, uh, the world record attempt for the world's biggest ocean cleanup, um, wow. which is to, to to pull out a million pounds pounds in weight uh, for the British yeah, audience yeah, yeah. listening. Um, <laughs> A million pounds worth of plastic material out of the North Pacific, which is a wonderful goal. But the big question is, what on earth do we do with that material once we've uh, pulled it onto land? Right. And we don't know yet. <laughs> but um, what we are doing is, you know, exploring all of those unlocked opportunities and all that, those potential synergies that exist in our business network and the, the industries that we enable. Um, and we're very confident that across that vast ecosystem, we'll be able to find those connections and create a market for that million pounds of trash and uh, and hopefully drive some social impacts along the way as well. Um, okay. So that's a story to watch over the next six months. Um, you've heard it here first. <laughs> nice, nice. And for people listening outside the US and the UK, that's about 470,000 kilos. <laughs> Wesley. <laughs> very, very quick maths there. Well done. <laughs> yeah, I think just to sort of add on to to a couple of the points Stephen was calling out, I think one of the things that I feel individuals and organizations get get stuck on is, you know, how overwhelming a lot of this can be, and you know how far away we are from sort of the the, the ultimate ambition. And I think the important thing to think about is just start, just try. It, it takes a lot of experimentation. Um, it takes a lot of innovation and and you know, testing and, and learning and sometimes failing. So I, I wouldn't, um, I would encourage those organizations and, and 
business leaders to, you know, to just try and and to take that sort of entrepreneurial spirit. As as Stephen said, we don't know yet what we're going to do with all of this waste. But there, you know, if, if you sort of think outside the box and bring in a bit of, of creativity, bring in, you know, some some different partners, um, some different mindsets, the solutions will come. And, and I think that's important to not be afraid to, to experiment and, and to fail because this is an area that is, is complex and requires, requires something new, um, and requires us to do things that in some cases we've never done before. So I would just, just keep in mind that sort of that innovative and that entrepreneurial spirit and, and that shift in mindset to, to all of what we've been, been talking about. Because with, with that, I think there, there can be some really exciting changes and really great opportunities. And I think positioning circularity and regeneration as, as an area for opportunity is so mm-hmm. critical. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, folks, if people want to know more about yourself, Wesley, or Stephen, or any of the topics we discussed today, where would you have me direct them? Maybe Wesley, go first. Yeah, well, I'll leave, I'll leave Stephen to, to talk about where to, to find more information on on the responsible design and production tool. Uh, but if, if anyone would like to have some some practical tips on on how to take the transition to to circularity, I will will definitely send you Tom the link to the circular economy handbook, uh, which is, is hopefully a useful guide um, and has some good information, some good case studies in there. I'd also like to mention, as Stephen said the you know the importance of of networks uh we we have a a program which we run called the the circulars accelerator which sap is has been heavily involved um which helps to bring new innovations to the market working with with startups and a number of groups um so the that we're going to be recruiting for the the cohort in September. So I do encourage um, circular innovators, circular startups, and those interested in getting involved and in supporting circular acceleration to take a look at that. So I will send you that link as well. Superb. Stephen? So firstly, I think education is the key to circular economy. And, uh, you know, I said that I think once already. And uh, we have just launched our massive online open course on Open SAP com for circular economy been open for two days and we were already into the thousands of registrants so wow i'd strongly encourage anybody that's interested in the topic to sign up to the open sap course you'll find it there on the website we also uh got a lot of the stories that we uh have and the projects that we're working on most of that's available on sap.com forward slash ce and um yeah there'll be a lot more coming in the months ahead as i say as we as we launch and in the run-up to cop 26 and all these other key important milestones uh, that we have ahead of us superb superb great wesley Stephen, that's been fantastic thanks a million for coming on the podcast today thank you tom Thanks so much for having us. Thank you for listening to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast. If you want to explore our industry portfolio to find the solutions you need to run your business better, faster and simpler, please visit us at sap.com slash industries.